Well, hey everyone, welcome to your Enneagram Coach, the podcast. We're so excited for you to see us on our YouTube channel where our podcasts are housed. So go there, like the video and subscribe so you can get updates on the weekly episodes. Well, we are so excited about this week's episode and our guests because today, not only are we continuing the conversation of our new book, More Than Your Number, did release on September 20th, but we're going to talk about our EIP, the Enneagram Internal Profile, but with a very special guest, pastor and author and our good friend, Scott Sauls, who is an Enneagram Type 4. And we're going to listen and hear about his EIP as well. So um, so then, Jeff, you know, as you know, that you know, there's many people that have kind of started to hear about EIP, but can you just kind of give us kind of an overview real quick on what EIP is? Sure. Well, you know, the very concept is in the title that we are more than our number. And you hear that a lot because people get stereotyped whenever they find their Enneagram number and they don't want to deal with being stereotyped or criticized. But the idea is this, is that there are various parts of us. And then rather than just descriptions of who we are and our personalities, what would it look like for us to take the various aspects and all of the complexity of who we are uh, and actually being able to move towards self-leadership? Uh, matter of fact, there's a phrase that I, I've heard from my recovery friends that discovery is not recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, descriptions don't lead us to transformation, but it is a helpful exercise to understand these various parts of us because these are the very parts of us that lead us, that help us to live out our sense of calling. Why? Because we've been created uniquely. And that's something that we can affirm that leads us to worship, but it also leads us to humility and moves us towards people. Well, we have a great example of this because Scott has written a new book that's going to help us understand not only the type four story, but how that translated into a message for people Mm -hmm. to discover the beauties of how the gospel can apply to their lives, even some of the most difficult things in their lives, and that God in his kindness and providence has given us a Bible that has repeated stories of how he takes broken things and makes them beautiful. So, Scott, we are so thrilled to have you with us on the podcast. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, and Scott is the pastor. Okay. I didn't introduce. (laughs) I'll I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, Scott is the senior pastor at uh, Christ Presbyterian Church here in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and like Jeff said, he has authored many books, and the newest one is Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. Now, we met Scott back in 2003, back in the old days when we were in Kansas City. Uh, he was leading the sister church of where Jeff was an associate pastor, and uh, you were um, at Oak Hills, and we were at West Hills. Mm-hmm. Um, and But then you quickly moved on to St. Louis area, where you were my brother's pastor and a very close friend to him. And then you headed off to New York uh, to be at Redeemer uh, with Tim Keller. And then you came back, or came back, you moved here to Nashville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. um, to be at Christ Prez. And, you know, it's just so fun that kind of like after all these years, we get to see you here and there. Um, and we've just heard such great things about the work that you're not only doing in the church, but also with these books and the people that you also mentor. So I would love just to start off real quickly, like, can you just tell us about your book? Now, we know that uh, you identify as Enneagram Type 4, so kind of paint a picture for us of your book and what people can kind of glean from it real quickly. And then we'll, I'm sure we'll hear more about it throughout this uh, podcast. 
Sure. So thank you, first of all, uh, Jeff and Beth, for for having me on. Uh, always love getting FaceTime with the two of you. And uh, you know, Patty and I, as well as our girls, have uh, so uh, richly benefited from your work. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, before I talk about anything uh, about me, I just want to take the opportunity in front of you, all, all your listeners, to, to thank you. Um, Aww, thanks. I, I think you're your, your leadership coaching mentoring approach has uh, probably helped, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of, of marriages, uh, especially mm. uh, be strengthened <laughs> as, as it helps us to understand each other. And, and yeah. so thank you for that. Um, Beautiful yeah. People jo- Don't Just Happen is, um, is my re- recent, most recent book project. Uh, thanks for asking about that. I think probably the subtitle uh, tells the story of the book, uh, which is uh, how God redeems regret, hurt, and fear in the making of better humans. And uh, I do think those three pain points uh, that every human being has, regret, you know, shame, guilt for the things that we wish we could go back and change, uh, hurt, uh, which is really just a, a byproduct of living in a fallen world and being fallen people. Uh, we we are hurt by our environment. We are hurt by other people. We, we cause hurt uh, for others uh, and also fear, uh, just the the reality of anxiety um, and worry and things of that sort. And so, so really the, the book just uh, attempts at least to really to pastor people uh, who are uh, contending with one or more of those wounds, either in themselves or others. Uh, but, uh, but it does so with an optimistic um, outlook on the kind of work that God does uh, in people's lives in our lives, especially not in spite of, but actually because of and through uh, those those pain points. And so, uh, so really, you know, the making of better humans piece comes from an Elizabeth Kubler Ross quote. Uh, she's a grief expert. I don't know what her faith commitment uh, was or is, but but she has this wonderful quote that inspired uh, the book, uh, and uh, and it goes like this. She says, "The most beautiful people." we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of those depths. And these persons have an appreciation, a a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and deep loving concern. Beautiful people don't just happen. So so the, Mm -hmm. the title of the book got ripped off from that quote. Uh, which you're allowed to do. Uh, the publishers tell us you can do that with a title. So, so we- <laughs> that's great. That's awesome. Now, Scott, mm-hmm. as I read through your book, this this is a very personal book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you share a lot of your own story. What do you think it was that captured your imagination about God shaping beautiful people through suffering? That was so, that was so personal to you. What was it that captured? that idea from your own story? Well, I mean, it's a theological truth um, for mm-hmm. sure. And I'm a pastor like you are, Jeff. And 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 uh, so I'm always thinking through that grid and through that lens. And, um, you know, from the beginning to the end, the, even the Bible itself was, was written for us by people who were contending with regret, hurt, or fear, uh, or all of the above, um, in, in various ways and in various forms. And so I find scripture to be incredibly relatable, uh, in that way and Jesus to be incredibly relatable in that way. But, 
Um, but in my own life and in my own experience, I, I am a, 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 a regret, hurt, and fear practitioner, I guess, uh, not much the place, uh, but, uh, you know, um, right. I, I know what it's like to be damaged. Uh, I know what right. it's like to feel ashamed. Um, I know what it is. I know what it's like to have regrets. Um, and, you know, a, a recent incident that I opened the book, book up with, well, recent being two or three years ago, first words of the book are, you suck. And, um, and th- those are words that um that i spoke to myself while walking Mm -hmm. alone uh here in nashville's lovely percy warner park because Mm -hmm. a memory of something that happened decades ago uh of of words i said decades ago to uh, one of my classmates in high school in order to humiliate her in front of other people to get a laugh um Mm -hmm. is still with me you know uh just carrying shame and carrying guilt and regret from things that happened when I was even a kid. Um, and so I, I want to speak to people uh, who relate to that. Uh, I want to speak to people who relate to the feeling of being betrayed or the feeling of, uh, of having betrayed someone else or, you know, to people who contend regularly with worry uh, or in fear and anxiety. I have a whole chapter about my own, battle with anxiety and depression over the years. Uh, I want to, I want to pastor those people. Uh, and I want to pastor my church first and foremost, but, but I want to, if, if God gives me an opportunity to put a resource in people's hands that can help pastor them through those things or help them shepherd someone else through those things, then, you know, just getting to release a book like this is, is a a supreme privilege. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you're right. It is my most, um, vulnerable book. You know, somebody asked, somebody asked me, you know, how, how would you describe this? And I would say, you know, I guess it's a, it's a reformed, uh, Presbyterian pastor's, um, attempt to write his own version of the ragamuffin gospel. Um, it's a, you know, a, a, it's been one of, you know, he's writes from a Roman Catholic perspective, alcoholic, um, mm. you know, contending with all of these same kinds of things. Yeah. And that actually has been one of the most impactful books on me yeah. uh, over the years. And, and um, you know, was introduced to Brennan Manning through a, a musician that I really resonated with, who I think had to be an Enneagram for also uh, named <laughs> Mullins. Um, so, um, so anyway, it's my attempt, you know, from my own perspective and theological background and experience to write a book like that in hopes of, of showing people Jesus uh, in those. Yeah. We'll be back after a quick break. Moms, it's here. Registration is open for Enneagram for Moms cohort. Yes, from May 6th to May 13th, you can grab your spot to be in one of the cohorts with moms of the same Enneagram type, plus with a certified Enneagram coach leading the way. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing to be with like-minded moms who really understand what it's like to be on your journey as a mom from your type? Yes, it will feel so validating, reassuring, affirming, encouraging. You don't have to mom alone anymore. Go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts to grab your spot today because there's only 25 spots available for each cohort. Now we have a cohort for all nine types in the daytime and one in the evening. 
But when the spots are filled up, they're gone. So grab your spot today at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts. The groups start the week of June 10th and go until the week of July 29th. There are 90 minute sessions and there's eight of them. Plus you'll get a free Facebook group community where you can continue the conversation with one another. Join today. Well, there's so many different things that we're going to pick up on to and uh, pick up on as we walk through uh, the Type Four EIP yep. um, and the various parts that carry these things of regret and hurt and sorrow that over all of our lives and our stories. And so, uh, Beth, uh, for our listeners, why don't you go ahead and start off with uh, an overview of the type four, and then, um, yeah, we'll go from there. Yeah. Uh, So type fours live primarily in their imagination and feelings, but deep down they have this hidden idealized self, like a vision of themselves that that they're passionately um, the most, like, incredibly socially adept person, that they're universally desired, But when they measure themselves against this idealized self, they're constantly feeling they're coming up short. And so this is where they feel that they're somehow defective and flawed and believe that others have the qualities that they're lacking. And so this envy rises up within them. Um, Now their focus of attention is longing for what's missing. And they're wanting to bring what's missing into the forefront so that they can experience that real beauty and authenticity and depth and that idealized self that they really long uh, to bring to the world. Now, fours have so many great strengths. They are rich with meaningful emotions and experiences that go very deep. They're incredibly intuitive and creative. They're authentic about their feelings. Uh, they're they're willing to sit with people right where they're at, no matter whether it's beautiful or hard or struggling or sorrow. Um, they really can sit with people in those hard spaces. Now, they have core motivations like all of the types. And we want to look at the four's core motivations because that's really where everything hinges from. So their core fear is the fear of being inadequate, emotionally cut off. Plain, mundane, defective, flawed, or insignificant. Now, they desires, their core desire is to be unique, special, and their most authentic self. And they have a core weakness of envy. Now, this is where they're feeling tragically flawed and that something foundational is missing inside them. But again, others possess qualities that they feel like they're lacking. And their core longing, the message their heart longs to hear is to hear you are seen and loved for exactly who you are, special and unique. Scott, what was it that um, resonated with you the most when you discovered that you were type four? Because like many people, you had kind of toyed around with maybe some other types, Mm -hmm. but then landed on being a type four. What was it that really caught your attention? Uh, Ian Cron. (laughs) So I went on his (laughs) podcast. I went in to interview with him on his podcast as a three and left that interview as a four. (laughs) That's awesome. He's he's like midstream. He's like, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see three energy from you. I see four energy. I don't see, um, you know, a guy who wants to work the room. I, I hear somebody who, you know, resonates with being a poet, you know, the, you know, the, those kind. Of, and of course, Ian's a four himself. Um, and I thought, you know, maybe so I thought I had thought I was a three wing four. Um, but you know, that conversation sort of triggered more reflection and going home to my family 
talking to them and, and they're like, yep, yep, yep. Uh, so, so yeah. And, and it, which actually for me, you know, the four, I, I guess you either love being a four or you hate being a four. Um, cause it's kind of, it can be this brooding personality. Um, you know, this E or yeah, when you get into a funk or when, when you feel the world's pain really deeply, you can kind of fall into this Eeyore ish, um, type of thing. Um, but it's also the personality of the tortured artist, you know, like, like the most creative people whose work we love and, and cherish and speak so much, uh, uh, to us about the, the beauty and tragedy of the, the universe and the world in which we live. Um, you know, those are people I have always looked up to all of my life and, and have just been enthralled by their work. Uh, whether you're talking about a novelist or a, you know, a musician or a painter or what have you. And so I, I kind of feel like, Oh, I'm, I'm in the club of, of, you know, those people. And, and, uh, it, it, it's interesting, you know, how, well, I could go on about, you know, the, the, the wounded child and beloved child is, is, as you all, you know, sort of frame them. And I can, I can see my boat and myself both wholeheartedly in both of them. Um, really every, every description, there's, there's not a single exception, uh, in this full page of many words, uh, both on the wounded child misaligned side and the beloved child aligned side that doesn't resonate, uh, when I read them. Yeah. So, yes. so that's probably well, that's a great segue. <laughs> That's right. Oh, well, right. why don't we define some of these terms? Because this this is going to uh, really help to clarify what um, Scott's referring to. So, we w- how we divide up the main type that it has two parts: the misaligned wounded child and the aligned beloved child. Uh, and so, we're going to st- uh, just start with the description of the wounded child. The wounded child is the part of our main type that carries uh, the burden of living in both a sinful and fallen world. It's the vulnerable part that carries the trauma the tragedy that we face. It reacts from a place of a painful history and the primal need to protect itself from harm. Uh, as a child, type fours long to hear that you are seen and loved for exactly who you are, special and unique. With longings, feelings, and passions ran deep within them, and they used emotions as their primary source to build their unique identity. That this wounded child felt disconnected and misunderstood by maybe both parents to some degree, which led them to assume that there was something fundamentally wrong or missing or tragically flawed within them. So they believed that they needed to be different and unique to stand out so others would see them and have reason to love them. Discovering their unique and authentic self became a primary focus for their life. See, the wounded child for part for a um, type four that it's not okay to be too much and you're not enough. It's a longing to be so be unique and to feel accepted and not feel too unique. Mm. But as an adult, um, the type four's core longing remains the same to hear that you're seen and loved for exactly who you are, special and unique. So to assist in bringing healing to our wounded child, we must begin to see and actually honor this part of our hearts um, because it, it reveals something about what we were made for and it reveals something about what's true about our world. Um, but unfortunately, this part of us was ill-equipped to handle some of the problems. So Scott, would you mind sharing a little bit, maybe from a memory from childhood about uh, as you think about being a type four, and how your wounded child really showed up for you. When I was a kid. 
Yeah. Or or whenever. <laughs> yeah, or whenever yeah. this kind of broken part of you. I mean, even yeah. uh, hearing you uh, share that earlier about the opening to your book, You Suck. Mm. I yeah. mean, that that's a part of you that looks back that says, you know, that uh, I, I was harmful in the lives of others mm-hmm. in order to really address what was happening inside of me. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, I, th- I think, uh, man, I'm, I'm still, you know, peeling the layers of the onion from – you know, the childhood experience and how that shapes the people that we become for the rest of our lives, or at least, you know, contributes to that shaping. And, um, you know, without going into too much detail, I, I'm a, I'm an abuse, uh, an abuse survivor, um, from a very young age, um, that was chronic for, for a number of years, uh, it was ongoing and, didn't recognize it at the time as any sort of unique form of, of trauma. Uh, just thought that was how life was. Uh, and that's how kids were treated. And, um, and I, I think my, my internal reaction to that, because, you know, part of the abuse was uh, being treated as worthless and useless and small and, uh, not enough, you know, all of those things. And, um, and it, I, I turned into an achiever, uh, which I, I think is where some of the, some of the three comes out, but the internal motivations, I think trace, trace back to the four. And that is that, that, that achievement became my vehicle, my primary vehicle, uh, for standing out, for being unique, uh, for getting noticed, for being appreciated, for my uniqueness, my uniqueness being, uh, to win. Uh, you know, I became a, I was a state champion, uh, uh, in tennis. I was, um, I was, uh, you know, selected to be one of the top 10 basketball players in the state of Georgia in high school. Um, and, and, um, you know, was never really happy in any of that because really the, the whole motivation, the whole, the whole basis for, you know, behind all of that was to, kind of reverse the narrative to reverse the negative verdict that has been repeatedly pronounced over me. Um, uh, but, but really the core was a hunger and a chasing for a love that, um, that I didn't know. Um, and, and, you know, it became easy to, um, replace, uh, the affection and love of those close to you with, you know, the applause of the crowds and, and, and to kind of look at that as a counterfeit and treat, and and that became kind of a counterfeit, um, way of fulfilling those misaligned wounded child longings. Um, but in retrospect, it's also, you know, in, in kind of teaching myself to be an achiever, you know, on the, on the upside when I'm in a, in a healthy place, I work really hard. Um, I keep my commitments. Uh, I show up, um, and, uh, I show up especially for wounded people. And I, I think I'm, I'm able to show up really well, uh, for people in, in a place of trauma and, and woundedness, um, you know, as people tend to be able to do for those who are going through things they've been through, uh, when they're at, at a healthy place, but that's the challenge is to, is that's to right. constantly be fighting for, for health, which yeah. is something that, you know, fours especially can slip off the wagon uh, pretty easily <laughs> yes. and become that brooding, um, you know, negative Nelly, Debbie Downer, which 
which who wants to be that, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, Scott, you're alluding to something that uh, is something uh, really beautiful about this and that there's these parts of us that can lead us away. And when we talk about the idea of being misaligned, it's Paul's words to Peter in Galatians that he's no longer in line with the truth of the gospel. And that these parts of us that are broken actually become instruments in the Redeemer's hands, that it's a part of who we are in our sense of calling. So, Beth, why don't you talk about the beloved child Mm -hmm. and what that looks like for the type four? Yeah, the beloved child knows who they are and whose they are. They know that Christ has satisfied their core longing. And the outpouring of this is satisfaction and joy. It's the overflow um, of their heart. And so for the type fours, their beloved child, this is that spirit-led self, and it knows that it is free from feeling shame, rejection, or thinking that they're defective and flawed. And it's here where the type four can rest because it knows that the eyes of the one that created them fully knows them, like sees them for who they really are more than they even know themselves and knows that they're special and unique in his eyes and that there's nothing missing, that they have all of Christ's blessings. And this is where the beloved child of the four can say to themselves, I am not too much, nor am I uh, not enough for others. God created me in a beautiful way, and I'm a part of this bigger story, this tapestry that God is weaving together, and I am this glorious, beautiful thread that shines brightly, and I belong. So, Scott, how does the beloved child part of your uh, yourself show up um, in that spirit-ledness, and how does it like lead the church and mentor others and write your books? Where does that really show up, and how? Gosh, that word belong, uh, that the that you you know finished your your remarks there with Beth is is the longing is the ache I mm-hmm. think of it's probably the ache on some level of every human heart it's not good to be alone uh, as we were sure, told yeah. uh, long long ago um, but it's it's a deep you know longing for people mm-hmm. who are wired with the number four um, yeah. your question you know how is it how has it shown up, um, you know, in writing and pastoring and those sorts of things? Uh, I hope I'm answering the question that you you asked, uh, or that or, you you're or just to how ask. how do you experience the belovedness? You know, <sighs> rise up. You know, it doesn't even yeah. have to be in a specific area. Just um, yeah, yeah. How does it show up um, through um, surprising? Uh, revelations of of the people that i have solidarity with give you an example uh, that's one and the number two is through through beauty that shows up through tragedy so i'll start with number one um uh i was in a conversation with uh, a nashville artist named andrew peterson uh and uh we're talking about being a four and how it feels like we're, we're trapped, uh, you know, in a, in a deep feelers existence. And I remember one of the things that he said in that conversation is, um, you know, most of the time when I walk into a room, even of friends, I, I assume immediately that I'm the most annoying people, uh, annoying person in the room. Uh, in other words, there's this alien feeling, uh, that 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 we fours have in every situation that we walk into, 
I feel that way when I walk into the church that I pastor. I feel that way when I when I show up at the dinner table with my own family. I, I feel there's a part of me. Not I don't feel completely alien or alienated, but there's a part of me that just feels like I don't completely fit wherever wherever I am. But then to hear somebody like Andrew say that, and I experience mm-hmm. Andrew and Andrew's friends mm-hmm. experience Andrew as the favorite in the room, you know, because, <laughs> sure. because of the other four aspects of, of, yes. of just truth and beauty and how he wears it on his sleeve and how he tears up um, at, at tender, beautiful, tragic things. Uh, Russell Moore would be another great example. I'm trying to think of people who we get to know because we live in this wonderful yeah. town where Rachel all these Lyons. people are. But, but, I mean, Rebecca, but also, Rebecca Lyons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rebecca Lyons is another four, but yeah, the, and these are people who are you know recognizable. Which is, I'm, I'm not trying to name drop. I'm just trying to no, yeah, be yeah. relatable with with you know people that your your listeners would would know them yep. and look up to them. But Russell Moore, a, another one, like I, I think, you know this this beautifully gospel centered prophetic, um, mm-hmm. you know, no that that he says to mm-hmm. to yes. injustice and abuse and. Um, and untruth and, and bullying, like, like, like the platform that really injured him uh, because yes. he had that platform and yet helped so many of us put words to the way that we're feeling about certain behaviors, especially in the church. Uh, I think, you know, he's such a treasure and I think, okay, gosh, if I'm in this same, and he would also probably, on, on, I know on some level express that alien feeling. I feel like like if if people like Russell Moore and Andrew Peterson are are saying I feel like an alien, but but at but at the same time these are people that I feel so at home with, uh, not only with what they put out there, but but just with their presence, I, I it, it gives me hope that maybe I'm not as annoying as I feel like I am. Um, but then the other is tragedy um, and and how it shows up, right? So my wife and I just went to this beautiful production of The Hiding Place, which is a story of. Corey and Betsy Ten Boom, uh, who, you know, were Holocaust victims as Christians who gave refuge to Jewish families. And they, they were in a concentration camp. Betsy died in the concentration camp, all kinds of injustice and her, just horrific realities, uh, you know, portrayed in this artful presentation of, of the hiding place. And, um, you know, there's this, there's this scene where Betsy, um, you know they're, they're living in this flea-infested room that the the Nazis put them in with a bunch of other people, and and Betsy turns to Corey and says, um, you know, we can rejoice over the fleas because the officers don't want to come in here uh, and hurt us because they don't want to be around the fleas and and just. Um, you know, everybody else, I, I, I'm looking around the room is dark, but I'm like, am I the only one who, who's weeping right now, uh, who is so deeply connecting? Because, because that statement to me, um, you know, again, it's kind of the, the beauty in a tragic place motif that fo- fours are so drawn to, um, like that, like, like we're able to say yes to redemption statements and moments that, that, that sneak their way into the world through completely tragic, devastating circumstances. Um, and I know it feels like a weird way to connect to God, probably to most people. Um, but, but Christ beca- becomes more real to me in that kind of expression than any other expression. Um, like I don't have much 
patience for a worship service that's all positive, for instance. Like I need psalms of lament and I, I, I need reason to, to, to grieve and lament the tragedy of the world in which we live as a realist. Um, but I also need my seven friends to sit next to me, uh, you know, in a worship service. And, and so I can draft off of their, their joy and their celebration and levity uh, because Christ has overcome the world. You know, yeah. uh, we need each other in that way. Well, yes. it reminds me of that movie title, Collateral Beauty. <laughs> yes. With I mean, Will Smith. It, yeah, it's such a, beautiful title, you know, collateral beauty, you know, like the tragedy uh-huh. and yet there's beauty in it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're able to sit in it long enough and pine for it. Mm-hmm. So, well, I mean, hearing you say those things, Scott, and I can see the little uh, sign that you have on your shelf behind you that uh, all sad things become untrue. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, the, the yeah. four's heart invites us. Mm-hmm. Uh, now there, there may be an unhealthy part of them that it invites us to, um, just being surrounded by the sorrow that's happening. Mm-hmm. But fours uh, have this incredible ability to find beauty in dark places mm-hmm. and for us to not have to avoid them or be afraid of them, but to walk patiently with them knowing that our mm-hmm. Heavenly Father is actually going there with us. So right. it, if, if yeah. we get close enough to a four, they actually invite us to yeah. more mm-hmm. of the reality of what is. Um, well, and Jesus was called a man of sorrows, you know, sure. and mm-hmm. I think fours give us a glimpse of the heart, of that part of the heart of yes. Christ. That's right. It's a protest. It's a protest against everything that vandalizes what's good and true and beautiful because that's the deep core longing of of a four. And really, I think of most humans is is that which is true and good and beautiful. So this sign behind me that you just referenced, Jeff, it's a, it's a quote from, from Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, Samwise Gamgee asking Mm -hmm. about the question, will all sad things come untrue? Um, But this sign was actually made for me uh, mm-hmm. and, and sent to me by a mother in our church uh, on the one-year anniversary of her 13-year-old son's suicide. Um, oh. And you wow. know, sitting underneath the sign is this folded-up handwritten letter that she wrote of you know, four or five pages, essentially rejoicing in the beauty of God in the face of tragedy um, mm-hmm. and um, protesting what happened to her son yeah. By living in hope, um, mm-hmm. and so you know that's another one that that just yes you know a story that gives me chills and you know I can I can sit with that and am energized by sitting with that all day long. Yeah. And Scott, I'm and I'm assuming too that one the re- is is it fair to say that she sent that to you because you've been such a gift to help her to navigate that? Well, I, I think our church community um, is is remarkable at showing up. Uh, for people who yeah. are on the ground, um, devastated. And, and um, a lot of the communal redemption in our church community happens when, when, when tragedy strikes and the community flocks to, mm-hmm. to show up in, in meaningful ways that I think demonstrate the heart of Christ. And, and hers is another example. I cannot take credit for that personally. I mean, I, yeah. I think that's just a function of the community of showing up for her in ways that, Frankly, she has made a, a life of doing for others. Um, and I think that's so. true, though. We've been in churches where, you know, maybe the, the leadership <laughs> wasn't comfortable sitting in hard places. And when the hard things came up, 
they kind of wanted to like be like a rock on you know the lake like skip it you know like skip mm. over like mm-hmm. oh we'll, we'll touch it just a little bit we'll mm-hmm. we'll pray for you and so why why i'm saying that is i just think you as a lead pastor and a type four you lead and you show and you mentor and you shepherd your flock in such a way that they then emulate that as well like how mm-hmm. to sit in hard places and so you yeah you you may not have sat with her on all the moments, but you've also taught your flock how to do that, which is really incredible. Well, why don't we dive in? Uh, Scott alluded to it a little bit earlier about uh, wings. Yep. And so talking <laughs> a lot about uh, his three wing. So um, these various parts of us, we don't become those parts, but we just take on certain attributes because they are operating on behalf of either the wounded or the beloved self. And they can be both in and everything in between. So the type three parts, optimistic, accomplished, adaptable, and driven to excel in all areas of life. Now, you'll notice that that can be very different than the type four description. So that means that there's ambivalence. There's a war Mm -hmm. going on in the heart. Uh, Well, um, they try to earn love and admiration by becoming successful and unique individuals. Uh, They might forego authenticity and shapeshift into a particular image to gain praise from others Mm -hmm. since uh, they envy what uh, others have and what they feel and they feel that they lack in some way, that they can uh, express a surplus of confidence in unique qualities, work, or accomplishments to be seen and admired. But when a type four's wing three part trusts the beloved child's leadership, it no longer needs the unhealthy strategies to protect the wounded child. Mm -hmm. And from this place of trust and rest, a type four may notice that this three part of them may have a healthy self-confidence in who God created them to be, and that they no longer need to strive for love and the admiration of others, Mm -hmm. that they can recover more quickly from emotional setbacks and to continue to make progress uh, versus getting caught up in the tsunami of their emotions. And they actually can help them become more optimistic, friendly, upbeat, hardworking, and able to accomplish a great deal. Mm-hmm. So you talked a little bit about how what that looked like as a type three whenever you were young and uh, particularly athletic accomplishments. Mm-hmm. Um, what it, what did it look like in the healthy sense of you being uh, your for your type three wing? Yeah, because the three. I just want to say like a four with a three wing or a three with a four wing. <laughs> That is just a huge battle inside because one mm-hmm. is trying to look the part and basically mm-hmm. not be authentic, you know, right. and the other part is like, oh, no, we must be authentic. How dare you? And yeah. so there's this battle that ensues. So I just, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how that battle, yeah. you know, plays a part in your life as in general. I think the way the way that you just said we instead of I is very telling. It's like we're we're, we're it's like we're Gollum, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> right? Gollum and Lord of the Rings. You know, speaks <laughs> yeah. speaks about himself in the plural. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, but yeah, the the four. I mean, I joke about this with with other people who are wired similarly that the four and the three hate each other. <laughs> you know, yeah. and yet they yeah. de- they desperately need each other uh, at yes, the same exactly. time, right? That's right. The three helps the four come out of this kind of isolated, um, you know, place in the corner. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm all alone. I'm so unique. I'm, I'm nobody gets me. You know, like needs the three to say, "Come on, let's let's get out in the world." And then the three, you know, needs the four to say, "You really need to get over yourself and, and realize <laughs> it's not all about you." Um, Scott, every but, once in a while, some. 
people that are on the podcast will do what you just did. Mm. It, and and I ask the question, is that the voice of your three-part? Like, hey, bro, you got to get your stuff together. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Well, that's why I listen to a lot of you, too, because, like, like one song is a four-song talking to the three, and another yeah. song is a three-song talking to the four. But you know, Bono's got to be a three-four or four-three combination. Yeah. But, but um, yeah, I mean, it's an inner conflict for sure. Um, but... Um, I, I think the, in my experience, at least Jeff, Beth, the, 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 the goodness of it is I, I work really hard. Um, and I have an ability, I think to, um, to say things beautifully, um, on certain subjects, mainly because of other people uh, that I've been impacted by and learned from. But, but, but um, in other words, you know, to say things be- beautifully, you know, n- meaning uh, that I, I'm wired like a poet. Um, I, I'd rather speak to you poetically than just factually. Um, but people who speak poetically and factually, you know, there's this sort of stubborn principle that we have is, you don't, you don't do that for a platform. Like, and, you know, you'll hear this from true artists. Like the moment you start doing what you do in order to sell records or in order to, to build a crowd is the moment that you sold out. And it's the moment that your art is going to become less creative and less beautiful and more commercial. And so like, like the true artists really resist that. Like Kurt Cobain killed himself over that. Like it, it's such a, it's such a, like he was getting famous and that's the thing that, that really destroyed him, you know, internally. Um, but, but you need that three, or at least I need the three to say, look, like if you're going to be a poet, if you're going to say things that, that you believe are true and beautiful, don't you want someone else to benefit from the uniqueness of that? Don't, don't you want others to like, like there's such thing as a healthy platform uh, that, that, that brings good into the world. Like why on earth do you think that Jesus, you know, deputized through the Holy spirit, a 66, you know, book or, or uh, you know, 66 book book, the Bible that's all about him to tell the whole world about him and to draw all people to himself. Was he an egomaniac? Absolutely not. He was the humblest man who ever lived. And yet he brought such a value in truth and beauty and grace and, and love that, that he recognized that the world would be impoverished without what he had to bring. And I, th- I think each one of us created in the image of God is a, is a small but significant microcosm um, of Christ. Like the word Christian means little Christ, uh, it, which means that, that each of us has a uniqueness that's meant to be shared and not hoarded. You know, it, it's actually a moral imperative in the Sermon on the Mount, both to not do your religion to get applause from people. Um, you know, don't use God in order to stroke your own ego on the one hand. And in the, and yet in the same sermon, Jesus says, you're the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. You're the salt of the earth. Don't hide your light under a bush- bushel. Make it shine so that all may see it and glorify your Father in heaven, right? And so if we can find that place of, of, of sharing, uh, you know, what, what God has entrusted to us to share in your case, you know, books and podcasts and, uh, you know, all the wonderful insights that you've learned, um, you know, around the Enneagram, um, 
but to do that from a humble place, recognizing you're stewards of something that God's entrusted to you, rather than doing this in order to, you know, work out your, you know, whatever issues, like there's a healthy way to do platform in the same yeah, way yeah. that there's a healthy way to do silence and quiet and, yes. um, and isolation, uh, you know, and there's also a shadow side to, to both of those. Yeah. So the key is to be helpful. Well, Scott, you know, in your book, I, I remember it, it kind of was a, a little bit of a, a, I don't know, a gasp or a like, huh. But there, when you came this insight where maybe it was your therapist or coach who had said to you, like, I think you need to see a trauma specialist. Mm-hmm. Did now was it part of your threeness that helped you to engage with that maybe in a in a different way than maybe you had in the past? I don't know. I haven't really thought about that, Jeff. You know, I I, I pursued counseling um, mm-hmm. just because really I you know it was really kind of a midlife thing of you know asking the question how do I want to finish you know if I've got mm-hmm. fifteen more years of of, you know, pouring in the lives of other people vocationally, um, you know, getting to do what I do, which is primarily pastor a church. Um, how do I make sure, especially in the climate that we're in right now, where, where so many large church pastors are, you know, not finishing well and, and mm-hmm. sometimes lose their ministries way prematurely because of, you know, some kind of breach of character, like how, how can we put force fields of protection around ourselves to make sure that health is protected? Um, and so I sought out a counselor to help with that. And he said, you know, um, this is going to probably need to go a lot deeper than you thought it would, um, because mm-hmm. I'm seeing some things in your story uh, that look like trauma to me. And, and when there's trauma that hasn't been unearthed unearthed and addressed in a, in a safe, protected, you know, context, it, it, it's going to leak out and, and, yeah, and bleed true. out sideways one way or another, even when you're at your best. Um, you know, if you, if you haven't, um, you know, done the work to really unearth those memories and, and deal with them and face them head on. And, and even that is a traumatic endeavor to, to kind of dig up stuff that, the subconscious has buried in order to kind of protect you and enable you to function. But it comes out in the form of insomnia, for instance, which has been Mm. a problem for me for about seven years now. Um, Mm. And that, you know, Chip, my, my counselor was able, you know, was able to say, look, your insomnia, I think is, is, is related to, I don't think it's biological. I don't think it's that your Mm. circadian rhythm is out of, I I think it's your trauma from 45 years ago. Um, You know, finally talking to you uh, loud yeah. enough for you to get help. So, mm. so yeah. Well, and I think, you know, like when I hear you talking about the three and the four, you know, what I hear the beloved part of the three is he's the champion for the four. He's the one spurring the four on saying, you've got so much to offer. Don't hoard this. Let's get out there and right. let's give it to others. And so the three part, and that's where, I think it's so important for us to see how these parts benefit us. Mm-hmm. But if you if you don't take the time to see how they benefit us, you're going to actually hate that part of you because there are times that it is hard and it's annoying and it pushes you in places you don't want to go. I mean, like for me, I'm a nine with an eight wing, but predominantly. And I can tell you, I love her and she can drive me crazy because she can get me in so much trouble sometimes. 
And yet she's the very, one of the very reasons why your Enneagram coach is even here. And so just to hear that three part of you, though there has been a, a tug of war within you, it's that very part that writes the books. I mean, there's other parts of you that we'll get to that, but it's the part of like, you know, like, let's make uh, a list, let's accomplish this, let's do it. And I love that. And I think it's so important for each of us to recognize our parts are beautiful when they're aligned with the truth of the gospel. And that's what we have to keep uh, fixating on. Well, hey, let's jump to your other wing, which is the type five wing. And type fives are the observers of the world. They're curious. They crave to learn more. Uh, they want more resources, uh, but they do fear they're going to um, struggle with catastrophic depletion from others. So they're going to tend to pull back and kind of withdraw from people. And the fours will do that too. So when the four is misaligned and following the are the wounded child, they can become very independent, putting up big boundaries, not wanting anyone to invade their space. They want to sort out their thoughts and their feelings alone, bringing their intellect into the forefront. Um, and they believe that their emotions are, people are going to not take them seriously. So they really want to hold tight onto those. But when the beloved child of the type five is in the lead and um, navigating uh, for the type uh, four, what you're going to see is this combination of intellectual insights and emotional intuition, which produces like this stunning original works. And they can be super genuous with their imp the information they've gathered, but also their emotions. And then they want to connect on that emotional, intellectual level with others. So Scott, how has that five-wing part of your heart shown up in different ways, whether uh, wounded or beloved side? So, um, Scott, I've not, never seen you without books behind you. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's all a prop. It's all a show. They, they don't they actually don't have pages in them. They're just boxes uh, that look like book covers. No. Um, yeah, I, I am a I am a, a pretty voracious reader. It comes with the territory of what what I've been called to do. I love words. Sure. Um, I love mm -hmm. you know being able to harvest. Um, you know, beautiful words that other people have spoken both for my own enrichment. And that might be the, you know, the, the, the four in me constantly looking for beauty in, in what other people put into the world so I can you know, hold on to it as a resource, but, but also it comes in handy for, for sermons and, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, book writing and also just for meetings, you know, with people who are going through this or that to, to be able to cite something that Dostoyevsky said or something that, um, that you guys said for that matter, I'd love, by the way, before this podcast is over to, to get to share with your readers, my impression of your new book. Um, cause I think oh, it's man. really, I think it's a really important, um, thing that you did in writing this particular book because you, you speak so directly to the heart. And, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's like, it's like, um, you know, I would say it's probably worth two thousand, it's like $2,000 worth of counseling for for $18. <laughs> and so you're, you know, you're, 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 you know, your listeners would do themselves a big fat favor, but I'd, I'd love to even just share my endorsement of that book that, 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 oh, I, you know, which a was gift. a privilege to do, at, you know, at some point before this is over with, but, um, but in terms of the five, you know, I, I've answered it for myself, but, but my wife is actually a, she's a, a six with a five wing and, uh, to get to live with her, uh, even though I'm probably more of a three wing, there's just that five part of me that, that, 
that cries for attention over here on the other side of the four is so deeply nurtured by her. Um, because what she wants to do as, you know, the six is she wants to connect, um, you know, she wants to, um, you know, nurture that relationship and, you know, pull the introverted four out of me, even though she's an introvert, she's got this thing about her as a six that's constantly wanting to connect. And one of the ways we do that is where our five intersects. Um, and, uh, which is, which is quite, quite wonderful. Um, you know, she's a, a, she's quite a, quite a wordsmith herself and, and writes beautifully. She writes for a, uh, pretty regularly for, uh, She Reads Truth, which some of your listeners might be familiar with, but, um, but yeah, um, I don't know how I got off into the marriage part of it, but, but so much of my five is, is nurtured, I guess I want to say in community, right. With, with, with my wife, um, you know, who draws that part of me out really well. Well, Scott, you, you actually uh, stumbled onto something that Beth and I, uh, in our own story and working out EIP ourselves. But um, so Beth's eight part. Now, this is <laughs> advanced EIP stuff. So more than one number. Mm-hmm. We actually have all parts of us. She's giving me the ojo because she knows where I'm going here. Um, <laughs> but give me the ojo. Uh, oh, you're giving me the look. I felt the look. He's, I don't even have to look at you, and I feel the look. You're so sorry, Scott. You had to participate <laughs> in that uh, and our listeners. But Beth's eight part. She calls her Regina, mm-hmm. and that's her wing. Yeah. But I, too, have an eight part. You do. And uh, I thought I was an eight for a while, but I, I wasn't. That was just to cover up my own fear uh, and think I'm more confident than what I actually was. But I call mine Reggie. And Reggie and Regina have a relationship with one another. Oh, yeah. Um, whenever <laughs> that part of her shows up, like, we are fights escalate quickly. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And but you're speaking to something like there. There's also other parts of us that help us to connect with our spouse. Oh yeah. And uh, there it, there is some fun times whenever Beth said or I'll say to Beth like you're you're thinking like a six. Yeah. But you can't handle this neighborhood like it. Yep. <laughs> when I get stressed, I, when I get you. stressed, my mind just goes crazy, and he's like, "Hey, why don't you just like stay over there? I'll, I'll handle it over here." Take care of this now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what I really want to know, like. Feel free not to answer this. No, um, it's great. But do you guys sometimes, because of the knowledge that you both have about, you know, the misaligned, aligned, um, you know, beloved, wounded dynamics of, of your ty- of your respective types, uh, are you ever tempted to like, you know, say, you're misaligned right now? You know, like, <laughs> like, do you guys pull out your your kind well, of therapeutic knowledge uh, to score points points in arguments with each other? I would say... I have never used my theological or pastoral counseling in order to win an argument, Scott. I would never do You don't seem like the type who would, Jeff, so... (laughs) (laughs) No, I would say, just like everything, there's the wounded part that comes in and the beloved part. The wounded Mm -hmm. part that comes in is usually defensive, you know, mm. posturing, um, mm-hmm. trying to, like, point out You're talking out about something. Jeff here, right? Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Right. <laughs> yes, of course you. But, you know, pointing out something in hopes to, like, get, you know, this, you know, ship turned around or not have to deal with it. So there's definitely 
the wounded part, but that never works, right? I mean, like <laughs> you, those mm. strategies never work. But I will say what's really helpful is the more we learn how to do this and learn how to dance right, we are able to hear each other's wounded part and misaligned part. And actually, we were just talking about this yesterday on a drive and not panic and not freak out and not try to fix the person, knowing that we're each on our own journey with the Holy Spirit, who is the one that's going to work in and through us. And so what we're really wanting is for each other to come alongside us in the journey. And yeah, definitely point out some things. There's sometimes Jeff's like, hey, who am I talking to right now? Because like my one part can really be beating me up with a lot of criticism. And is that really Coach Beth, you know, the healthy part of my type nine? Or is that someone else? And so he'll even kind of say it gently like, hey, who's who's really here? And that's just a soft way of saying, I'm here with you, but I, I think you need to become aware of what's actually happening. And so they're definitely both and like it can we can definitely use this knowledge in a way probably i wouldn't say ever intentionally because we've learned a long time ago not to use it as a sword or as a as a shield but inadvertently there's times that we use it in ways that can land on one another in the wrong way sure but i it it is true uh scott there there is a way of using this that's actually harmful um versus recognizing that someone's actually working out uh, something that's even bigger than you as a spouse, but you just have the privilege of being there in the moment. Mm-hmm. And the longer that we've been married, as we've endeavored to believe God's grace for one another, we create space. It, it becomes a much more hospitable pay, place uh, for one another whenever we do get spun out I, and disorganized. And you probably would agree with this, Scott. Um, you know, when we were newly married or young in those first maybe even 10 years, which some people are like, 10 years, you know, you're you really you're trying to fix one another, right? Like just make this stop. And the older you get, you're like, you know what? It's all right. We're we're still in this. We're gonna be together. Yeah. I love you. You're gonna yeah. falter. It's okay. Yes. I mean, um, isn't it liberating in a covenant relationship where where you you, you 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 discover things about each other that are wonderful and really frustrating all at the same time to to believe good theology uh, and yes. anthropology about one another, that yeah. I am never going to be married to somebody who is not unfinished. Yeah. Um, you know, I am confident that he who began a good work yeah. in you will be faithful to complete it, and all the way until, uh, yeah. and all the way up to the day of Christ's return uh, when he makes us complete finally. But I don't know, just having those theological categories to Mm. um, kind of relieve the pressure, uh, to open the pressure valve on our expectations of ourselves and one another in such a a fragile um, relationship like marriage and such a potent relationship all at the same time. Um, I don't know. I've, I I don't know how a marriage can last long without that kind of resource um, that right. that removes the pressure on ourselves and on on the other to you know achieve something that that's unachievable. Um, yeah. yeah, and that is I the remember, fulfilling of all my expectations. I remember being on a treadmill back in St. Louis, 
when we were in seminary, and I was praying through this kind of personal and marriage prayer journal, um, lots of verses in it, and it was really helpful. And I remember just kind of like praying specific things, hoping that God would change Jeff, you know. And I just had this like a Holy Spirit moment where I was like, you know, Beth, if God wanted Jeff to be where you're praying for him to be right now, he could totally do that. But he has a story for Jeff. He has a path for Jeff to learn certain things along the way. And do you trust me to allow those things to transpire in the timing I see fit? And of course, there's part of my heart that was like, uh, no, that's why I'm praying. <laughs> Let's do it now. But no, it was such a sobering moment of like, can I trust him and his timing and his goodness? And what does that mean for me? How how do I offer my prayer request, but also open-handedly receive whatever he does give me in the timing he gives me? And I think that's that's where the Enneagram can be so helpful because I can see more clearly when Jeff is misaligned, but instead of wanting to fix and force him to change, I can come alongside and say, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? You know, Is there something I can do to come alongside you? Now, mm-hmm. hey, everyone that's listening, we're still in this like you all. Like we are, <laughs> we are in the trenches working this daily. But I think the more information we have and the knowledge, it allows the Holy Spirit to wake us up and to become aware of how to attune to Him and be- become more like Christ. Well, I know that we haven't gotten to the the remaining parts, the paths, the type uh, one uh, for the four and the four that moves to the type two, right? Mm -hmm. But I I do want to spend these last few moments talking about something because uh, this is really at the heart of Scott's new book. I love it. And Scott, I don't know if I've ever actually shared this. I don't know where I got this contraband from, but you (laughs) had written a series of articles about sort of the gospel-centered life. This would have been early 2000s. I think you had written it whenever you were um, uh, in St. Louis, and I had gotten a copy of these various articles that were so formative to my thinking. So I, it was so helpful hearing even themes that you have built upon in your books now that I remember back in those original articles you were writing for the church, which is at the core of the book. And that is this idea of the gospel and how even in our suffering that the gospel is still true. Uh, how have what has it been like for you as a type four to experience, you know, to use our confessions, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable love, <laughs> kindness, forgiveness, and mercy? One, how is that? How have you experienced it personally? But then maybe follow up, how does that shape how we experience suffering? Yeah, so, you know, I go back to the story of Jacob with that question, um, Jeff, and that that place in Genesis where he's wrestling on the ground with God. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a point where, um, you know, Jacob says, I will not let you go. until you bless me. And um, that was kind of a eureka moment for Jacob because that was the moment that, that God did let go or, or that he did let go of God when, when God you know gave him the blessing and then he got up and sent him off with a limp for the rest of his life. And from that point forward, he becomes the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. 
Um, but the thing that, that um, Jacob had been clinging to all of his life was a wound uh, because he never got the, the paternal blessing. He never got the blessing from his father that he craved. He craved it so much that he pretended to be his older brother. Uh, at a certain point in hopes that, that he would hear words not meant for him and yet pretend they were being pronounced over him because of this wound. Uh, you know, you always live with the wound of being his father's second favorite child, which is a horrible way place to be. Um, and you know, the, the words that Jacob spoke to God were, I will not let you go until you bless me. In other words, that was his eureka moment of recognition that that my blessing needs to come from from this father uh with whom there is no partiality uh and from whom there is this complete inexhaustible never-ending uh love that will not let us go um which means we can let we can let everything go because he won't let us go um and i, I think in, in somewhere in there i'm able to locate my own story because I, you know i i grew up Again, um, without offering too many details, but I, you know, I, I grew up just craving a blessing that was my right to have, um, that was never given. Uh, a, a curse was was given in its place, and um, you know, and this is this is what my counselor is helping me unravel now in my fifties <laughs> of you're you're still fighting um, in some ways, you know, when when you're when you're in the shadow place, when you're in the misaligned place, to use your language, um, you you are you think you're fighting this, but what you're really fighting is that you know that thing from way back. That's that same thing that triggers me to tell myself that I suck because of words I said to somebody in high school in my fifties when both my daughters are out of high school. <laughs> you know, let alone me being long out of high school. Um, you know that that same trigger um that, that that still wounds you from your shame uh, and your guilt is also a trigger that will go back even further uh and and you just have to put that fight down and and um you know you've got to you've got to row away from it and look for your blessing where where the complete blessing can, can only be found and, and that's in the pronouncements of God over us. And, you know, that's another way that we can relieve each other and ourselves in marriage as well. Right. Um, you know, we, we, we so often want to, you know, plug our umbilical cords into our spouse or, or into our children to, to give us life. Um, and that puts too much pressure on them that, that asks them to be more than they have the ability or the capacity to be. Patty cannot be my Jesus. She can be my wife, but she cannot be my, my savior, uh, any more than I can be her Lord in demanding that she be my savior. Right. Um, but it, it, that's a, that's like the, the, the ironic, wonderful thing about the gospel is, is having the blessing of God that you so beautifully, you know, described a minute ago, Jeff, um, enables us to let go of, of the, maybe the people and the, the entities like work uh, and, 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 and other things that we look to for our identity to let them go. And in letting them go, we actually gain more of them. Uh, if, if that makes sense, right? It's like what Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and 
everything else that your heart craves and longs for will be added back to you, but in a healthy way, in a life-giving way, in a way that you'll never ultimately lose. I mean, there is a, a sense that I, I've no, in, in my own life and having the privilege of serving as a pastor and, and seeing people walk through suffering, there is something about longing for the, the touch of our Father that keeps us animated and striving so hard. There is a part of us that's going to take matters into our own hands and to try to find it somewhere else, but it, it keeps us moving forward towards God, of longing. So when we, we see books like yours or read books like yours, it, it helps us to capture, like, it, it, it could be true. It might be true that mm-hmm. God is still involved in my life and wants to communicate something of who he is for me in the person and work of Jesus Christ, now given to me abundantly by the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. that helps me to persevere. And that I learned something about who he is. I learned something about who I am. And, you know, like just the story you share, Scott, we're going to walk with the limp. Like it, yeah. the, the suffering is real. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's not complete, <coughs> but it's such a gift that had I not gone through it, I wouldn't mm-hmm. have known it. Um, well, tremendously encouraging. Thanks so much, Scott. We really appreciate uh, your your candidness, uh, your thoughtfulness, and uh, being willing to engage and your own heart that yeah. leads to great works uh, like your new book. Yeah, absolutely. And well, just to kind of sum up real quick, because I know we didn't have the time to go through your type 1 path and your type 2 path, but if I can just summarize the wounded type 4 and the beloved type 4 and how the parts work. So the wounded type 4 feels that there's something defective and flawed, something's missing, and they're longing to restore that that idealized sense of themselves. So what's going to happen is the type 3 wounded part is going to show up and trying to convince the 4 to put on a show, to be an image, to play a part. The type 5 is going to convince the 4 that it needs more knowledge, it needs more time away, it, it needs to isolate, it needs to put up stricter boundaries. The type 1 is going to become more critical of themselves and others for not coming through in the way that they feel like that will help the idealized self come through. And then the type two part is going to overly focus on clinging to people and relationships, which actually drowns out the relationship. But when the four has the beloved part of their heart um, at the helm, you're going to see something drastically different. You're going to see the type four who is intuitive, depth, has deep emotions, who is able to sit with others. But the three part no longer is about the image. It's about coming alongside and cheering that four part to keep going, to keep giving their gifts to the world. The type five part is going to allow their knowledge to be um, expressed to the world so that that four part can help not only through the emotions, but the intellect. And then the one part is going to come alongside and help the four to actually navigate through principles and um, like steps of, of procedures. Like we actually need to put this on the calendar. We need to get this done. Um, we need to know where our keys are so that so that the gifts that we have aren't going to be pulled back and hindered. And then the type two is that that part is going to help the four not only see their own needs and emotions, but they're going to be able to see the needs and the emotions of others and give forth 
great blessings of sitting and grieving and listening and being there as a nurturer to others in that space. And I, I will say this, Scott, there was one moment I went over to Oak Hills. This is when we were in Kansas City, and I think I was uh, hanging out with the pastor who stepped in after you, Russ Ramsey. Mm-hmm. And um, He's I, on I our staff that... now here in Nashville. He's the pastor. <laughs> right. pastor's one of our congregations. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, but I think in the office there were several pieces of equipment that were labeled. Mm-hmm. And they said that that, that was Scott uh, labeling things. <laughs> yeah, I was a little OCD about things, uh, certain things back then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean, it, uh, that was your one part coming yeah, up. Yeah, coming I mean, in, in, in like, some hey. sense. I mean, that yeah. to give order to church plants, uh, yeah, that's a gift. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yes, it can become something else. <laughs> Well, you know, thanks, Scott, so much for joining us today. Can you just share with people where they can find you and all the work that you do? So, um, scottsalls.com, that's that's a website where all my stuff uh, is, books, uh, weekly blog you can subscribe to. Um, I write an essay and send it out to people's inboxes every week. Uh, and uh, the the church that I have the the privilege of getting to serve as pastor, Christ Presbyterian in Nashville, among other things. So so scottsalls.com might be the the best place to go uh, uh, for, for that kind of stuff. Well, thanks for everyone for joining us today. And be sure to share this episode with all the type fours in your life and those who have type fours in their lives. Uh, what we did was in part Enneagram coaching. We'd love for you to personally experience this by connecting with one of our certified Enneagram coaches at myenneagramcoach.com where you can find someone all around the world. Uh, and thank you so much uh, for joining us. As, and we hope that you've really enjoyed this episode talking about in the Enneagram internal profile, which is the uh, main theme of our new book, More Than Your Number, where you can uh, pick it up uh, anywhere books are sold. But as always, remember that the Enneagram reveals your need for Jesus, not your need to work harder. It is the gospel that transforms us.